I wish I had another 20 hours on this one, and, and uh, I've, learned, I've learned for a, a sermon to be uh, everlasting, it doesn't have to be eternal, so I'm going to make it short. <laughs> I'm going to start something, and you may want to throw a shoe at me because of all that we don't get into, but I'm going to try to narrow this down as we get into something that's really... Uh, interesting as we're going through the book of Corinthians what we're looking at is following Paul as Paul is trying to minister to the churches and in particular I want you to remember that Paul is dealing with Gentile communities not Jewish because the Jewish have this Old Testament history 2,000 years of a covenant agreement of what it means to be the people of God and this 2,000 year history of what it means to be uh, in different tribes and to learn the system and the rituals of worship and the law of Moses and that and so on and so forth. But they all came together under that one call to worship the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. So the Jews had that part figured out. But now you step into a Gentile world and there's not one God, there's thousands of gods. And there's all kinds of issues in city-states and Greek and Rome. And, and there's just the developing civilizations all through the world. But the problem is they're Gentiles. And they don't have this uh, historical dimension that, uh, that the Jews would have. It's kind of like in America, you know, you, you start the history... Uh, with the Puritans and you, you follow the American history for 200 years, but you go to Europe, they start their history in high schools with 55 B.C. with Julius Caesar. <laughs> and so they have this long de depth perception of what's going on. Well, we're going to get some depth perception as what does it mean for Paul to step into a Gentile world and teach a Gentile community how to love in the Holy Spirit? That's really the issue that Paul is doing with Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and here in Corinthians. But as you get into this, you've got to anticipate that there's going to be conflict and compromise because the Gentiles do not know the Lord like the Jews did. And therefore, the tensions and the resistance that you're going to get are going to be there every turn for Paul, and it's not an easy ministry. But... I've always thought that unless you are in the middle of, res of, of conflict and resistance, you're not in the ministry. So because the spirit sets his desires against the flesh and the flesh sets his desires, its desires against the spirit. So it leads us to this title, uh, Controversy, Conscience and Consideration. I, I don't know. I have to come up with this early and I'm on the road thinking, oh, I've got to do the sermon. What am I going to call this? And this is the worst um, part of my job is trying to come up with these titles. But the idea is that there's conflict. And we're going to get into this, but I want you to hear first and foremost, and I don't want you to misunderstand because it's so easy to mis, uh, be misled. Our purpose and our calling as a church, is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. To know him personally in such a way that every day my heart should be enlarged with a devotion and an affection for Christ. If that's not happening, then the church is not moving in the maturity that God wants 
us to have. But we are here to praise and worship this wonderful, wonderful Savior that we have. There is nobody else like Jesus. And he came to reverse the curse. And all that he does leads us to have him touch us in a way that we want to be touched more. We want to follow him more. We want to trust him more. We want to be faithful disciples and learn his kingdom ways and to show and to share the good news in relationships. And so you become a little Christ for a lot of people. They don't know Christ until they maybe have met you. But our goal is to help people become reconciled. And the war is ended between this conflict between man and God. And we become the sons of God, peacemakers. Well, that's our purpose and our calling. That's what Paul wanted to do with the the Corinthians. And yet, as he gets into this, he wanted to make sure that the that everyone understood that the focus of the ministry is Jesus Christ. Not transformation, not culture change. It's Jesus. And he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The focus is on I. Not the truth, not the way, not the life, but I. And the Jews were unwilling to go to Christ that they would have life and have the way and have the truth. But Jesus was very clear. And so, but, they, but one of the things that Jesus would teach uh, as you follow him, and he would say lots of things, and you know these phrases, that I'm the light of the world, I'm the door, I'm the vine, I'm the bread, I'm the, lots of, th- I'm the resurrection. And so you listen to Christ and you follow him and, and then he says in the midst of this controversy of being in the world, he says this one phrase I'm going to pick up today. He said in Luke 19.42, he says to the tension-filled Jews, Roman, occupied Israel, if you had known this day, if you had known this day, even you, you Old Testament people, you covenant people, you, you have got the whole Moses to David to Jeremiah. If you would have known the things that make for peace. And he was saying to them, you don't know because they have been hidden from your eyes. Now keep that in mind because what Jesus has said, that there are people on this earth who know peace, and there are people who do not know peace because it's been hidden. And therefore, the call and the work is to help people un, un, um, become restored and to their sight. And so, you remember this because Jesus had a lot of conflict, a lot of controversy. In Matthew 11, they came to Jerusalem. Remember that time when Jesus was walking in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, three of them, priests, scribes, and elders, and they began saying, by what authority, Jesus, do you do these things? You come into this temple, you try to cleanse it, and you teach these. By what authority? Or by whose authority? Remember, remember that? And so Jesus would answer but not give an answer. And he would say, I, I'll ask you one question. And you answer me. There is a command. You answer me, Jesus said. 
And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, was that from heaven or from men? Answer me. Wow, that's pretty strong. And so they went away. They couldn't, they debated, they argued because they knew they were caught in a conflict that if they say this, Jesus would do that. They were caught. But notice, Jesus caught them. And then he says this, uh, what shall we say then? For men, they were afraid of people, but everyone considered John to be a real prophet. Answering then, Jesus said, we don't know. And then Jesus said, okay, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's a standoff, and Jesus is not going to get involved in this conflict. He knew how to handle conflict in such a way that he let people struggle with their struggles, and he didn't relieve them from their struggles. It's an interesting thing about the Lord. We think Jesus is going to heal everything. But when you have these people interrogate and question, Jesus knows the spirit of the questioner. And so when you have Christ and you're following Christ, you learn these words. He could have said what he said to those whose eyes weren't blinded. He could have said as he said to the disciples. Well, let me explain it to you, elder scribes and Pharisees. All authority has been given to me. All authority. My Father authorized me. In heaven, on earth, wherever there's a creation of mine, I am the authority. He didn't say that. He could have, but he withheld that information. Well, only to say this, to to get into the fact that In the Old Testament, people knew that the Bible, God, was the authority. So much so, bear with me as I go into this little rant here, and that's what's going on this week. As you get into our our study uh, this week and what's going on in the week, did you notice that in the Supreme Court, you don't don't know if you've noticed this, I didn't notice until I looked at it, that on the east side of the Supreme Court, the east wall, the east pediment, of the United States, right above at the center, you see those figures? Do you know who those are? Well, it's interesting because under, underneath that, I don't know if you can read that very well. You can't say So I put this under. This is what's written on the Supreme Court. Justice, the guardian of liberty. And this Holy Spirit certainly is the one who guards our liberty. But here in that, in that uh, this is the east side You have these figures, and here are the three figures close up. You have Confucius, you have Moses, and you have Solon, from which the town is named. Do you know who Solon is? He's the architect of the Greek democracy system, on which our system is based. And these three represent three great civilizations that are bringing this idea of democracy to bear with wisdom and liberty. So you have Confucius. I was surprised by Confucius was up there, but he's up there. But Moses is the center. And as you get into this, uh, do you know how many times the image of the Ten Commandments are engraved on the stone around the Supreme Court? 
44 times, 43 times. So our, our Constitution, our Supreme Court, is anchored in the fact that the one says, I have the authority, and the authority is in the one that I sent. And this is the book that describes Jesus. On the right-hand side and the left-hand side of that wall, you'll see, again, human uh, inquiry into the past research and the present research, and it's all there. But on the west side, uh, that was the, first, the east side has justice, the guardian of liberty. On the west, get that up there. Yeah, justice, the guardian of liberty, justice. And then uh, on the west side, you have uh, another kind of similar representation, but that's not Moses and Confucius and Solon. It's uh, different. It's three figures that represent order, liberty, and authority. Well, at this place, something happened this week, as you know, that was monumental. Roe v. Wade was overturned. Unbelievable. Also this week, besides the abortion issues, and uh, you've had another significant issues about gun rights uh, taking place uh, these are so monumental that's going to shape. But at the same time, you've got more mass killings and shootings in hospitals and schools. But you've got people who are protesting and you've got people in the streets arguing and will continue to argue about all kinds of positions. We live in a culture of conflict. And whether it's sexual orientation, but what you need to understand is this. We are living in a system that's based on sociological law. Not divine law, but sociological law, which means that there'll be strength in numbers. And law will be established by the strength and the dominant group in power. And therefore, you end up when you have situations like these issues in a stalemate and you have conflict, this is the issue of the VS, the verses. Now, I don't know, you know, I, you know me, I like little word studies. And so the word versus means to turn or to bend. And we use it in the word anniversary, turning another year, going down. Uh, but it's also used in adverse, avert, controversy, divert, extroversion, turning outward, introversion, turning inward. To turn back is to convert. But versus means to turn against. And so now you've got confrontation. And when you have confrontation with numbers, you've got strength in unity. Now, several months back, I, I brought up this thing of the Roman facis. And you remember this? It's on, it's on the, um, it's, it's everywhere in Washington. But this is this, th those rods that were used by the guardians of the judges. And this was 13 or 14 rods tied together. And this was used as a weapon, like the CIA or FBI or secret, secret security staff would have. But this is everywhere. You see it on the back of the mercury dime here. Strength in numbers. 
if your law or your conviction or what's going to happen as a policy takes place because of strength in numbers, it's a numbers game. Did you know that the far right uses this very symbol in, in the Carolina protest? You see it on the shield. Those fussies who are saying, if the more we get together, we will overpower them. And that's a strategy that uh, they would use. This is their flag used in the far right. This is the symbol of the authority in fascist Italy. This is the very basis on, of the chair that Abraham Lincoln sits on. Remember, remember this? That the strength in unity... But, Jesus, but, but uh, he stole this from Jesus because he said, Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. Well, this is the idea. This week was such a perfect storm because what you had is a 100-year-old law with the gun rights overturned, a 50-year-old abortion rights law overturned. And so the question is, if you can just overturn laws then you're going to create chaos. I was in Cairo's ministries, and the guy said to me, I'm in jail for selling marijuana. I'm, I'm doing 17 years for possession and selling of marijuana, and while I'm in jail, they make it legal to sell it. Now, I've just spent 12 years of my life in my sentence, and now it's legal. Can you imagine what happens when you get mixed signals, mixed messages, and laws change, it creates confusion. So Paul said, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? If the bugle produces an unclear, confusing sound. And therefore, when we speak, it's got to be clear and not fuzzy. But when God's Spirit speaks, it's got to be very clear. And here's the answer when you have some debate. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. But in everything we do, the overriding goal is charity. It's grace. It's agape love. It's the unconditional concern of Christ to restore. And therefore, when you get into this week of, of overturning laws, and then you've got January 6th hearing. I don't know about you, but there is such a deep disturbance going on in our country. And you will be misinformed to think that it is the right versus the left because it is not the right versus the left that we're fighting. It is the spirit of this age. But these gun rights, when you have people who are Christians who are going to be on the gun side of of the Second Amendment, we've got our rights, and then you've got Christians on the side, we think abortion is okay, and you've got Christians on who are saying, it, no matter what we do, we're, we're free. Now, remember what I said two or three weeks ago, that liberty, what was liberty? Again, remember what this, liberty was this not being enslaved, not being entangled, or not being endangered. And therefore, what Paul wanted the Christians to know then and what the Spirit of God wants us to know now is that your spirit, not the Holy Spirit, is the one that gives you liberty. Not your group, 
not the numbers you belong to, not your church, not your culture. It is the Spirit. Now, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is what Paul was trying to say to the Corinthians, that this gospel is the new game in town. Therefore, Christians, do not get involved in the wrong battle. Do not get involved in the culture wars and forget the eternal perspective that God is out to redeem, not transform culture. He wants to, he's not out to change the world. He's out to build the church, and that church is going to lead in a new kingdom culture. Well, this is what Paul was trying to do. Now, why do I say all this? Because when you read 1 Corinthians 8, if you've read that, if you're like me, you go, what on earth does this have to do with me? You're talking about, Romans is talking about, or Corinthians are talking about eating food sacrificed to idols. Have you had that problem recently? I mean, where do you go get idol meat? You don't, you don't go to Giant Eagle. You don't get it in Costco. I've never seen here in the States. I've seen it overseas where there are different gods and pagan sacrifices in a different way. But they would offer oranges or sake or things to little rocks and little idols. And, but for Paul, Paul, Paul understood something. Paul understood that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace, and joy. Paul knew that. Not everybody knew that. So what Paul is saying to these Corinthians, as, as far as regarding meat-eating uh, festivities that have to do with pagan worship, it's not an issue for us, and therefore we would skip over this. But don't mistake, underneath that is the issue for us. And so what Paul wanted us to see is that, that there is a way to think about th not only the culture, the things in the culture like eating meat, but it's the way you handle conflict. And so he's been talking about this because there's conflict about sex, conflict about celibacy, marriage, divorce, virginity. But for Paul, the issue has been very clear that what he wants you to understand is not the conflict that matters, it's how you, it's your attitude in the midst of the conflict. So let me give you some, some conflict, I mean, examples of conflict. <laughs> I don't give you conflict. Have you ever been with a Christian and you've disagreed on things? And where did that disagreement lead you to? Have you known friends who bro have broken up because of political stances? They've lost friends because they've, they've supported Trump, or they've lost friends because they've supported Biden. And therefore, when you have politics becoming the basis of your relationship, you've got a difference and a distancing taking place. How about these? Uh, if it's, is it sin to eat food that's sacrificed to idols? That was their question. We don't have that question. But let me ask you these questions. Is it sin to watch an R-rated movie? Is it sin to listen to non-Christian music? Is it sin to get a tattoo? 
Is it a sin uh, to binge on Netflix for three days? <laughs> Is it sin to drive five miles over the speed limit? Is it sin to skip church one Sunday to attend a sporting event? Is it sin to send your kids to a public school system that is so liberal or to a liberal university? Is it sin to bet on sporting events or spending monies on a luxury item? Uh, is it sin to go play video games that are violent? Now this last one's going to throw you. Is it sin for women to go topless? There are a number of answers to these. But if, if you keep saying, well, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, then you may end up being more of a legalist, a Pharisee, who's measuring Christians' behavior as the basis of, of their faith. Now, the last one, is it sin to go topless? If you're a missionary in Papua New Guinea, or if you go into the Kalihara, or if you go into third world countries, where the, it is appropriate in hot certain climates, that's the norm. But the issue of appropriateness is the issue and sensitivity to the culture at the time because not everybody has that knowledge. Well, let me go to the point. For Paul, the objective is when you get into differences, how are you to respond to Christians who really think they have a biblical basis for this position or that position for, for smoking marijuana or not smoking marijuana or whatever the issues, there's going to be a justification in their thinking that I can do this as a Christian. Can you eat meat, sacrifice idols? Well, listen to Paul. Listen to Paul. <clears throat> and so he says in 1 Corinthians 8, if you get your Bible, you can read with me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 is right after 1 Corinthians 7. <laughs> and he says this. And I'm reading from the ESV today. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's the issue. Love builds up. This knowledge puffs up, but uh, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't know as he ought to know. But if anyone uh, loves God, he is known by God. Yeah, it's right there. Um, now about the food sacrifice uh, to idols, we know that, um, that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no one but God. And therefore, uh, even if there is, are so-called gods, whether in heaven and earth as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom all... We live, and, and but there's one Lord, one Jesus, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everybody possesses this knowledge. So some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. And we're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do eat. So be careful. 
And this is the point for us. Be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with that knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound the weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. So I never cause them to fall. These little, these little um, 13 verses, if you unpack it, there's so many things underneath it because the question is, for the, the Corinthians, if I invite you to my house and I'm a Gentile convert, I'm a Corinthian convert, and I've been eating uh, pagan meat all my life, and I bring you in as a Christian and I offer to you pagan meat at my house, would you eat it? If your family members find out that you're a Christian and you go to the Thanksgiving holiday and they serve you brisket, and you don't know that brisket has been offered to idols, would you eat it? The questions, again, they're complicated, but the questions mean, how do you handle situations that are unclear? In the scriptures, when God speaks, this is sin, do not do that, that's very clear, but there are a lot of areas that are not clear, and therefore the requirement is to discern the spirit of love and how I respond. The problem with Corinth is that a lot of Corinthians like the Corinthian food. And therefore, they would like to participate in the pagan activities with the meat sacrificed to idols. One. Two, there are, there are Christians who could afford, who were wealthy in Corinth, who could afford to buy top sirloin not sacrificed to idols. Let's say the top sirloin was, again, it's hypothetical. You'll follow the point. The, uh, it was $10 a pound. But if you can get meat sacrificed to idols for $1.99, which one would you buy? If this is the source of protein for the rich, and this is a cheaper source of protein for the poor, if you were a poor Christian, which would you go to? Well, but that's been sacrificed to idols. So Paul would say, there's some practical things here. And then if I invite you over, which kind of meat do I buy, depending upon who you, am I going to offend you if I serve this meat? Should I tell you that this is offered? There's a lot of tension here that we won't get into. But the idea is, no matter what we get into, Back then, we don't have to deal with this, but today we do have to deal with this. These two Christians fall on the opposite side of, of abortion. They're Christians. How could Christians disagree on an issue that's one not mentioned in Scripture? Like the, like the argument for overturning the law of abortion rights and gun rights is uh, abortion rights is it was not 
in the Constitution. The right to have an abortion is not written in the Constitution, and therefore there is no legal reasoning in the Constitution, in the text, in the history, and in our tradition. And therefore, someone came along, sociological law and numbers, overpowered this and shifted over. So we have 50 years of following abortion laws. But you overturn it if you get back to the text. I mean, you go to the text... And there's no clear instruction about what you should be doing in certain areas. Well, in these cases, what you find is you get into conflict. And the conflict for you will reveal your spirit, how you handle conflict. The problem is when Satan gets involved, he wants to destroy not just the conflict. He wants to destroy the relationship. And therefore, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what happens is, Christians get together, they get into disagreement. What happens when you disagree? You can distance. And when you have distance, you have division. And when you have divisions, you lose the unity. And that was the issue in the Corinthian church. The Old Testament, the Jews understood, do two walk together unless they agreed to do so? Well... The Jews knew that. The Gentiles didn't. So the issue for us is not how compatible you are with the issue. It's not how reasonable you are with the issue. It's how you deal with incompatibility. In this passage, you'll notice that Paul set up two groups. And one says, if you don't eat that food, if you, if you eat that food uh, to idols, he calls you weak. There's a group that's weak and a group that's strong. Should you have the freedom to eat meat or freedom not to eat meat? It depends on which group you're going to respond to. The weak group says, well, we can eat. Or the strong group says, yeah, you can eat, but it doesn't make a difference. Either way, you're going to have different groups arguing on both sides. But for Paul, it's not about the argument. It's about your relationship. And so he says, if you really are strong and you have your rights, suspend them. Quit arguing your rights. You got a right to bear a gun? Okay. Jesus said, put away your sword. My kingdom isn't going to be won on a human level. It's going to be won on a spiritual basis. And therefore... What I would recommend as we move to the close here, because I can go along on here, is that when people are so accustomed and have habits of eating meat or doing things in a certain way, realize that it may be a conscience that's defiled. But these are stumbling blocks to the weak. Who are the weak? They were the ones who wanted to participate in the festivities. And they were also the ones who had the super spiritual practice. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. Either way, people were in groups and divided. Who were the strongs? Strong people? Well, they were the ones causing divisions and arguments in the church. They may have been the Gnostics, but they were arguing. But they were divisive. And that's the spirit that Paul says, I don't want you to be divisive. Okay, let me move towards the end. Uh, the issue wasn't, again, the meat. The issue wasn't the fact that the meat's going to affect your relationship to God. Because 
There, is, there are no idols. It doesn't make a difference. Whether you eat or don't eat, it won't affect how God thinks about you. The question is, the real question is, when you get to any of these issues, you have to ask this question. Is this sin? Is abortion sin? That question cuts right through. And so it's not about do I have rights? Sure, you can argue that one. But is the life a life? Okay, you can argue that. But the question that has to be determined, and this will reveal the spirit of the person, as 1 John 4 says, do not believe every person. Don't be confused by the arguments. You have a clear head by the Holy Spirit. Am I sinning when I have an abortion? Is it sin to smoke marijuana? Is it sin to go gambling? Is it sin? And now you've got an entirely different issue that the world is never going to address. So they're going to reframe it. Well, you're going to have different issues. Is pornography sin? Is, well, on and on and on. I would suggest this. Remember what Jesus would teach about human nature. The parable of the soils. There are hard hearts and hearts all the way along. Two, don't try to reap what's not developed yet. They're still developing and the responses are going to be different. Don't try to win the argument, but try to win the person. Three, remember who your enemy really is. Four, rely on God's resources because we have not received the spirit of the world or the spirit of the strength in numbers, but we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us who will help us understand. And therefore, we are called to be respectful and honor truth at all costs, at all times, and then get to this level of conversation where I really care about people being in bondage like the Corinthians were. And so what Paul is saying that we are to speak truth, truth, truth in all things. If you're not speaking truth and you're speaking arguments or you're speaking culture, you're going to quench the Holy Spirit and you're going to do damage to yourself. But so let me just close with this one. This is a pot of coffee we ought to get into. But know this, that no matter what the issues are, God's constantly forgiving us for all of our sins. Don't misunderstand that because you're doing something immorally wrong or legal or illegal or whatever, the, the whole state that we're in, being separate from God, we will do damage because we're not reflecting the love of Christ. Therefore, to say, to close, I'm going to use this verse, 1 Chronicles 22, 12. May the Lord give you discretion. And understanding when he puts you in, you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord. And that law of the Spirit is that you become a lover, just like Jesus was, of people who were rebelling, enemies, resisting. And that's the good news that we're, we're bringing to those who are Gentiles. In 13 verses, this week... I would encourage you, one, to be in prayer. Two, to be patient. And if you're in a conversation with anybody this week and you, and you hear these issues, 
you don't need to argue. You just don't need to argue. And so Jesus was not concerned about winning the argument. He was concerned about winning the person. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's to win the hearts and the souls. But this is what Jesus would say. These things I've spoken to you. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Christian, don't be afraid. You need to be courageous. You need to be compassionate. You need to be honoring. But you need to be humble. You need to be sensitive. Because these things aren't going to go away easily. So be gracious as we go through. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know how messed up we are and how much we really don't have the wisdom to handle these things. And the world is going to set its desires against you. Father, we don't want to follow the world. And so we ask your, for your wisdom, that we ask that you would give us this ability to sit and listen, listen, and love, love, and really understand where people are coming from and be gracious as we bring people into the knowledge of Christ. Lord, only you can help us do that with reason and wisdom and with winsomeness that really honors you. So help us to love you and love people, honor the truth, and let justice be the guardian of our liberty. We pray for this country and our leaders that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.